Welcome to Women Who Startup Radio. This is the official Women Who Startup podcast, recorded right here in Denver at the tech studio inside the Cable Center. Season three is all about fundraising, and I'm officially coining this season as Show Us the Money. I'm your host, Lazelle Van Buren, the founder and CEO of Women Who Startup and Effectively Labs. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Women Who Startup Radio, where we talk about show us the money. Listen, today's episode is going to be really interesting. Today, we're speaking with Tara Reed. She is the CEO of Apps Without Code. And I learned a little bit about Tara not too long ago, maybe a year, year and a half ago, when she basically hacked together technology to kick off her first startup, which was called Collecto. And she's going to tell us all about that. It was like AI for matching you um, and art. uh, uh, Collecto is basically, I believe, an artificial intelligence matching application that matched people who love art with art that they love. Um, She's going to tell us a little bit more about Collecto, um, what happened with Collecto, how she put that together without writing a line of code, and how that also landed her, uh, I think, a few hundred thousand dollars in um, uh, investment uh, funding. So we're going to learn about Tara. We're going to talk about, you know, a lot of us think that the, the biggest roadblock of maybe not being a software engineer yourself, but being a founder and having a great idea is um, very challenging. And it is. Let's not kid. It is. Like, if you have a great idea and you don't know how to write a single line of code, (laughs) that's when you need to staff your weakness and, uh, you know, uh, find a co-founder that can. But a lot of us didn't, don't realize, a lot of us don't realize that there are multiple ways that you can also get to an MVP of an idea without having to write a single line of, go, uh, line of code. Uh, and so we're gonna talk to Tara today. Um, we're gonna dive into her story. We're gonna get to know her a little bit and we're gonna get to understand Apps Without Code, which is really, I think, very valuable for founders to get out there, to um, stitch together technology, to validate an idea before you actually literally um, start to build that thing. Because man, it costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of time to actually build a great product. And so before you do that, when you go from idea into validation mode, uh, let alone into um, wanting to raise money for that validate, validated idea, you want to know, you, you kind of want to know how people are responding to this idea that you're putting out there. And Tara's going to, she's going to break that down for us. So I'm, I'm very excited to talk with Tara Reed today. And I'm very excited to hear about the story of Apps Without Code and um, as well as Collecto, um, basically the first product she took to market with her method of Apps Without Code. So yeah, let's do this. Let's say hello to Tara Reed. Kristen Morgan is the co-founder and CEO of P2B Investor. All companies have a life cycle. Early stage, you're gonna raise money from friends and family, you can get small business loans, and then as you get later stage, you're gonna go to a bank. 
but there's this really big gap in the middle where your business is growing and you need a lot of capital. That's the market that we're going after. We're bridging companies from being a small business to being a bankable company that is consistently profitable. We'd like to thank PWI for being a Women Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more about Krista's company at pwi.com. Tara Reed is with us in the studio today. She is the CEO of Apps Without Code. Tara, welcome to Women Who Startup Radio. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Um, I know our listeners are going to have, I think, a lot of insight from uh, from Apps Without Code, your story, etc. Let's yeah. dive into it. If you would, please, please introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Tara Reed, and I run a company called Apps Without Code. So what I do is I teach non-technical people how to build their own apps, web apps, mobile apps, without writing any code. And uh, we run online boot camp programs. So they're eight-week training programs where you go from idea to building your app and having it out there in the wild with a business model and a marketing strategy and some money in your bank. I love Love this because I'm a technologist myself. Um, uh, last year, I had an HR tech idea, and I pretty much stitched things together. This is how I learned about you uh, yes. initially, by the way. Um, and so uh, I'm I'm thrilled to have you on the show. So before we get rolling, before we get any further, I would love to do a rapid fire with you so that our audience really, really kind of gets to know you from a new perspective. If you okay. would, where were you born? I was born in San Diego, California. Oh my God, it's one of my favorite cities. Ah. Um, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I definitely wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> really? That's funny. <laughs> that didn't funny. happen, but yeah. That didn't happen. Okay, very, very interesting. What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Ooh, the first thing I do is definitely check my phone, unfortunately. Mm, mm-hmm. Bad habit. Mm-hmm. Are you working on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely got to work on that. Yeah, the, like the rest of us. Um, uh, best daily ritual you live by? Ooh, okay. So one of my favorite rituals in the morning is to organize my to-do list into four sections based on what's urgent and important. And I mainly try to focus on two or three things for the day that are important but not urgent. Very cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I mean, you got to you got to you got to figure out what's urgent today, what's not, what can wait. That's great. Yeah, and for the most part, I try to have my team help me with the things that are super super urgent. Yeah, and I focus more on strategy. Wonderful, wonderful. So the song that gets you through any bad day. Ooh, every day by Dave Matthews Band. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of thumbs up here in the studio. Um, that's I yeah. love DMV. Really. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he's a fellow South African. I was born and raised in South Africa. We'll talk about that later, but maybe. <laughs> so uh, Dave Matthews, big, big fan. Uh, big, big fan. So that's awesome. Okay. So what's your favorite brand right now? Ooh, favorite brand. Google. Not bad. Not bad. Best book you've recently read or listened to? I just read, um, and I'm surprised I hadn't read this before. Just read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, I've heard. I've heard a lot six, of good things. Yeah, it was really good. Um, it was just about success 
and what we think success looks like and how um, success actually comes about. And it's not what we normally think. Very interesting. Final question. What is your life motto and your mantra? This is big. If you're not, if you're not embarrassed at the first version of your product, then you launch too late. Mm-hmm. By Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn. That's my favorite. Solid. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for rapid fire. Let's, yeah, dive, let's dive into it. Um, so apps without code, when did this begin? How did this come about? And I'm sure you'll kind of tell us a little bit about what you built yourself and how right. you raised money around that. So t- tell us a little bit about, first of, first of all, uh, you wanted to be a lawyer. That didn't happen. What, what did your career trajectory kind of look like leading up to apps without code? How did we get here? Oh, okay, great. All right. So if we want to go back to from wanting to be a lawyer. Uh, so when I was in college, I went to school in New York and I started interning at um sort of social justice uh, law firms. And then I realized that the thing that I really liked in my job was uh, the sort of thinking about the things that we needed to get done on the team and finding really efficient processes for getting those things done, Mm. right? That was like what really excited me was the process part of the legal team. Mm. So uh, I realized, okay, well, like, I like being around the these legal teams, but really what I like, I think this is business stuff. It's kind of like business process reengineering. Mm-hmm. So I started to look at consulting and I was looking at sort of business analyst kind of roles. And I remember my junior year of college, I was ready to go. I was going to work in finance in a uh sort of business, in-house business consulting, business analyst kind of role. Mm-hmm. And I also on a whim applied to do a similar role at Google thinking like, yeah, right, there's no way. And I got, I'd already said yes uh, to JP Morgan and Google came around with an offer and I said, you know what, I'm going to take a chance <laughs> and go out to California and do this Google thing. And then I got stuck in tech from wow. then on out. Yeah. So uh, after Google, I worked at Foursquare for a little while and then also at Microsoft and I've been a techie since then. But I worked as a as a business analyst and as a marketer. So on the quant side of marketing and that was sort of the trajectory from lawyer to tech though. I love that. I love that. I'm a growth marketer myself and and uh, quite the tech head. So I think we have a lot of uh, really cool things in common. That's really fantastic. Um, So, so that's kind of awesome. And you went with your gut and you were like, oh, this, this Google opportunity, I'm not going to, I'm not going to over, this is not an oversight. Like this is meant to be. And right. you took it and, and, and you ran with it. And it was obviously the right thing to do. Yes. Obviously. So, okay. So you work for, you know, quite a few awesome um, larger technology uh, companies, but I love that you talked about very early on in your career, even during your college degree, you started to appreciate uh, productivity, process, process engineering, automation, if you will. And that was yeah. probably pretty early. Um, uh, but you started to think of, okay, all the stuff that's getting done, it can be done better, it can be done faster, and I bet it can be done with technology. And so it sounds right. like that was a kind of an immediate like, aha, 
for you. So, okay, so you work for all these uh, cool companies. You obviously must have learned uh, a ton about yourself and um, your skills and the things that you enjoy doing. So help us, yeah, help us understand, like, then how do you lead up to where does where's the beginning part of apps without code? Was yes. it your idea of of um, your you know your startup, which you know you'll tell us about? Um, uh, what was that app called? Collecto. Collecto. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah. So you'll tell us about Collecto. Uh, was it Collecto the idea that led you to apps without code, or the other way around? No. So. What happened was I was working full time, I was at Microsoft at the time, and I had an idea for a startup. I wasn't even really thinking of, of it as an app at the time. Hmm. I just really, I really wanted to help people like myself find cool artwork for their home based on their budget and their taste. And I looked around and saw that there were pretty much, there's recommendation engines these days for everything. So if you want to find a good movie, you go to Netflix, or if you want to find a good book, you, um, Amazon will recommend it for you. And Spotify will recommend some music for you. There, you know, the recommendations for fashion, all these things, but there is no way to find cool recommendations for art. And so I thought, well, maybe I should just build something like that. And so I started on this journey of building what ended up being Collecto, which was a recommendation engine for affordable artwork. And along the way, I was just casually blogging on my own personal blog. I think I had like 100 subscribers (laughs) to my blog. I was mainly talking to myself yeah. about my process. You were, you were recording. Yeah. I mean, you're just taking notes like, hey, this is what I learned. Boom. Taking notes. Right. And actually, I was in a program at the time. Um, it was called Orbital Bootcamp, actually. Mm. And the program was a, they called it a side project accelerator. Hmm. Or maybe I call it that. I don't know if they <laughs> call it that. But that's what it was. It was a program to help you launch your side project. Right. And so I landed in this program and actually the program is run by a guy named Gary Chow, who had just left Union Square Ventures, a big VC firm in New York, Mm -hmm. um, and had rented out Kickstarter's old office and had launched this program. So as part of the program, I had to blog every week. Hmm. And so I largely got forced to blog and I'm so glad I did. So I was blogging about my experience building this technology app and the software without writing any code. And I eventually you know, was getting subscribers around it. People were interested. And I did a TED talk in Detroit eventually about how to build an app without code. And after that, at a certain point, I had so many emails in my inbox saying, like, I'm a non-technical person, too. I have an idea for an app. I don't have $10,000 plus to hire someone to build this for me. I don't want to outsource it to someone I totally don't know because I don't even know how to manage them or if they're Mm -hmm. doing a good job or a bad job. I don't know. I have no clue. And I would love the idea of being able to roll up my sleeves and build this myself. Can you help me do that? So I had enough emails like yeah. that, that I sent out an email to my like 100, 150 subscriber list. <laughs> and I said, hey, I'm going to uh, launch this little bootcamp program for myself. And I'm going to take five people and teach them how to build their own app without writing code. You know, let me know if you're interested. And I immediately sold out of that program and uh, realized that there was something there. And but it still at the time was my side project. I've I've really had a lot of success launching side projects that turn into businesses. So at the time, Collecto was doing pretty well. We had raised money. We had gone through 500 Startups Accelerator and raised money from 500 and a few other folks. Um, 
And we got to, I got to a point where, and again, like process has always been the exciting part for me. I got to a part where I was more in love with the process of building Collecto than I was in love with the product itself. Got it. And with Apps Without Code, I got to teach people the process of launching a startup, not only just technically how to build the app, but also how to build, you know, smart marketing and growth hacking strategies around that and how to manage the highs and lows of being an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. how to navigate um, raising money for your company or making decisions not to raise money for your company, all those sorts of things I got to help people with as part of the process. Mm -hmm. And I also was at a point where... um, I had built with Collecto a business that uh, really kind of, because of our margins, it was a, a lower margin business. And so, which all art businesses are, it required me to continue raising capital. And it was not what I really wanted to do and not the direction I wanted to take the company in. And so with Apps Without Code, we were, you know, really very close to profitable from the beginning and cash flow positive and it was a totally different kind of business model yeah. and that sort of led to me making that switch as well and this is this is really really awesome to take a quick dive into there is something to be said uh what you just mentioned and hell i've been i've been i've had many instances of that as well where the process of taking a napkin scribble actually building and iterating and validating it, putting it out into the world, giving it a brand, making it fun, and then seeing what, you know, what type of person grabs onto that or is willing to exchange, you know, money for it, you know, the value for it. And then you get to that point and you're like, okay, now what? And it's interesting because that makes you, you know, that makes you exceptional at product development and it's bigger than that it's 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 strategy it's branding it's validation it's go to market it's product market fit i mean it's all it's 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 the it's the concept to launch startup phase and it's a right. very very important and it's huge and a, a lot of us are great at that concept to launch and then it, it, pff, the rest it's for somebody else Absolutely. Yeah. So would you say you learned that about yourself with the Collecto um, startup that you were like, okay, if I'm going to, and so for people to know, is this product still in the market? Um, Is it, it, what are you doing with that? Um, Are you seeking out like a different leader to take that puppy to the next level? Um, Tell me about Collecto. So I'm no longer running Collecto um, and it's no longer, it's currently not in the market, but we're having some interesting acquisition conversations and we'll see how that lands. But I think you're totally right. For me, I definitely learned that my, the, the place where I perform the best is in that like idea to launch and first iterations and validating space. Mm -hmm. That's the space that I love and that I'm really good at. And I get to do that kind of work every day in a different kind of capacity. Um, And also my team was really good at it, right? I built a team um, at Collecto that was really good at that. And many of those folks moved over to apps that code with me as well. Wonderful. Fantastic. So, and I think that has a profound amount of value for people who are more less of the concept to launch folks and more of the, oh, I cannot wait to just have this idea built so I can cultivate it, so I can farm it, so I can build it, I can grow it. 
I look forward to raising, you know, money for it, blah, blah, blah. And and that's like the the hunter versus the gatherer or the farmer versus the hunter, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind absolutely. of scenario. And and I, I would imagine with apps without code, this is where you're really kind of probably sinking your teeth in with people who want to learn that concept to market uh, phase. And, and even in a way where they're not restricted by having to go and find a CTO on day one. I think of eventually right. any business owner, any founder, any CEO of a startup will need to find um, a, a small group of great co-founders that can staff their weaknesses and can Agreed. build the software. Yeah. But um, for you, it's like, hey, I have this idea and here's a method, a toolbox and a set of uh, things you 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 just, just didn't know before that you can go and um, take your idea and go prove it in the marketplace, which is extremely, extremely important and valuable for founders. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good route to take even when you do have a CTO, mm-hmm. right? Like the time you could spend, the time you'll spend writing code and shipping code for something that you're not even sure anybody wants mm-hmm. right, yeah. is, is, is sometimes not worth it. And so Frightening. Yeah. I have on, you know, in my bootcamp programs who have CTOs and the CTO is the one who drives the apps for that code process for validating because you can go in and make fundamental, you get a ton of feedback on your app. You can make some big shifts and updates and changes based on that feedback in a day and then get it back to your customers. It creates a wow experience for them. Your early adopters feel like they have really close input into the product. Mm-hmm. You have you know low barriers to making those pivots that you need to. And then once you've got you know it, it close to, almost, you know, almost there. And you, you know, maybe you're, you're always going to be making tweaks to your product, but mm-hmm. once you get it really close, you know, then you decide to write the code for it or, you know, take it to the next level. And I, I see it working really well for people who are non-technical and for people who are technical. That's amazing. So let's break down a little bit. Cause you know, we want to dive into fundraising. Um, and I think one thing that you're going to be a heavy hitter on is is a multitude of awesome things, which is why I was so excited to speak with you. But yeah. one of the biggest challenges, I think, for entrepreneurs, for founders, for anyone with an idea, with anyone with that weekend side project, is they are having one hell of a time because the market's really changing. Venture capital is really changing. Oh, yeah. Investment funding is really changing. And, and not fast enough because we need more women to get more checks. And, and yeah. so we're going to talk about that. Um, but there is... Uh, Everything to be said for hacking together your initial prototype, fast, uh, furious, <laughs> well, uh, even pretty, yeah. and getting it out there so you can validate your product market fit. And that is what investors want to see. So so that's that's amazing. And and I have no doubt after this call, we're going to talk more about partnering up with Women to Startup because this is like, oh my God, like the bells are just ringing, the, the dots yeah. are connecting. It, I think there's a lot of uh, synergy there. But talk to me about your own experience with Collecto. Having have built a prototype yourself, hacking it together, you and your team members, but I mean, you you found a way. You didn't let anything stop you. You found a way. You found interesting technologies. You stitched together tech. You 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 plugged you know one app to another, and you were like, I can I can stitch this together. I, I believe right. that's how you started Collecto. How yeah. did uh, I mean, for God's sake, you know, uh, 500 startups was like, get your ass in here. And so yeah. what leverage did you give yourself by not letting it stop you 
uh, like, oh my God, I can't write a single line of code. I mean, I'm sure you actually could because I mean, today a lot of us can actually, you know, write some stuff, but um, you you literally didn't go and spend 50K to build Collecto, right. um, beg, borrow, and steal. <laughs> right. you, you figured out how to build that puppy and you took that, quote unquote, to the bank. How did the world look at you by having have hacked together that prototype. And did you talk about it like that? You're like, listen, I hacked this sucker together. The 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 market fit is validated. People will pay for this. They want this. I just need the cash to now take it to the next level. Did it, did it give you a lot more leverage or was it just as hard, just the same? So I think it gave me a lot more leverage. I, so in that conversation, there were two specific things I think I had as an advantage because of the journey I had taken. So I had been running Collecto end to end, like even from it being my side project, from idea to uh, 500 startups, who was our first investor Mm -hmm. and getting into their accelerator program. I think I'd been working on it for eight months or so. And I think that the advantage I had had first was that from literally the day I came up with the idea to bringing it in to 500 and having that meeting and that conversation with them, mm-hmm. I, had, I had generated revenue already. Yep. I see so many people going in and they're like, I have an idea and we're working on the prototype, but we need the money to get the prototype built. Yeah. And, and, and a lot is changing in inventor and in investing. And there just are, are far fewer, they're just far fewer investments being made at that early of a stage. The majority of the conversations being had are like, well, great. Like talk to me about the revenue metrics that you've hit already. Yep. Um, and, and that's where investors are. It's no longer that you're just going out with an idea and hoping someone will fund the idea. It happens. Yeah. Uh, just not, it's just not, not as common and and, and so not the I, only way. Yeah. And not the only way. And I would argue that like you do not want to do it that way. Yeah. Um, because you've got so much more leverage. You can, you have something to negotiate um, in terms of your, the terms of your investment when you've made some money. And so uh, we've done probably, I think at the time, $35,000 in revenue. And so I was able to come to the conversation saying like, okay, well, we've done revenue a little bit, but like we're making money with this. It has potential. Yeah. And also I was able to come in with a story that was different from everyone else. So I remember the moment in the conversation where they said, okay, well, you know, talk to us about CTOs on your team. Do you have a CTO or how have you been building technology? And I shared with them. And at the time, like the tech, the sophistication of the technology was still pretty low. Yeah. So here, here's what I'm doing. Uh, I took a survey and I hacked a survey to build a recommendation engine tool. So, you know, surveys have show and hide logic. And so pretty much what happens is when people log into the survey, it looks totally customized to them as their name and art recommendations for this person, for Tara. And it shows them art based on their taste and their budget and all these things, but I'm just using sophisticated show hide logic inside <laughs> of the survey yeah. to serve those recommendations and people are buying stuff. So I think that like if we continue to build this out and build a really robust, you know, matching algorithm and do all this other work, yeah. that, you know, it could only get better. Yeah, it'll get better, but like here's how I've built this thus far. And I remember 
because uh, I was in a meeting with three other people, three partners from 500 startups, and they all looked at each other and nodded because what I had demonstrated was that this woman's going to get this thing built no matter what. That's right. right. Like we can help with the other stuff, but like this person clearly is showing that they're going to get this thing built. And I think that was at an early stage, that's what investors, one of the main things investors are looking at is like, are you going to be the person to get this done? Yeah. And I think showing that I was able to build my product in a really scrappy way actually allowed me to differentiate. And I remember I left that meeting, um, was in Mountain View, California. I took uh, public transportation up to Oakland and had a drink with a friend. By the time I got to Oakland, I had my acceptance letter. I was the first one accepted into that batch. Wow, Uh, that's great. That's so I, really thought was, great. I thought it was useful to me. To me, it has worked as more as an advantage than a disadvantage. Absolutely. No, I, I think you're on the money. Um, I'll never forget. And I can talk, you know, a little bit in two parts, like one of the products that I um, was cooking up last year and I kind of put to the side burner. But now I'm actually going to retrieve that and put it under the woman who started brand. Um, which is kind of much the same, which is like there's a matching algorithm going in there and we're putting people in positions of opportunity and funding and stuff like that. But um, the cool thing is, is the way I like to uh, ship product is um, with revenue. And uh, I don't know why this is so foreign. And maybe it's because I've always had to be scrappy. Maybe it's because I've always had to bootstrap. And maybe it's because, hmm, there is still very few women who have had big checks only mm-hmm. at idea mode. Yes. And uh, so for one thing, I think it it's giving us as female entrepreneurs and innovators a lot of leverage that we are digging our hands into no matter what. We're going to figure out how the hell I validate this puppy. If I can validate it and take some money. That is a huge, huge sell. The moment you stand in front of a room of potential investors and you say, I've been testing X and this is the revenue I've made. Even if it's literally like in the last 30 days, I made $1,000 while testing this. The game changes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you make you land investors when you don't need their money. Yeah. Damn. That that's tweet. That's powerful. And it's the truth. It's yeah, like, honestly into, the truth. Yeah. If you go into the meeting and you need the money, like it's, it's so clear, first of all, just in everything in the presentation that you do. And it, it, you, you, you present to just a stronger opportunity for someone when you don't need the money because you can take or leave that deal because you've got some revenue anyway. I, I love this conversation we're having, by the way. Mm. You know, one of the first things we do in my bootcamp program mm. is we do this five-day challenge. I call it the Gimme Money Business Model Challenge. Oh, I love that. And I find so many people come in, particularly with apps. People come in and they're like, I'm going to build an app. And I'm like, great, how are you going to make money from that? And they're like, it's going to be free to people. And then I'll eventually make money from ads. Like I hear that so often. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what that means is you put yourself in a position where you have to take venture money, yeah. where you go into those meetings and you need them. Because pretty much building an app that's free up front means that, and you're going to make money from advertisers, means that you're going to have to get yourself to a point where you have enough users such that an advertiser says, yes, it's worth money for me to give you, it's worth it for me to give you some money and for you to put my brand in front of your audience. You have to have an audience in order to get there and a sizable one 
in order to get there. And so that means that for the first few years, you're going to be broke. Yeah. <laughs> what that means. Yeah. And you've got to pay all of your bills and all of your startup costs and yourself for those first few years that you're broke. And you put yourself in a position where then you need venture money. And one of my commitments to my students is that they put themselves in a position where they don't need it. If you want it, great. If you're at a point where it's going to help you scale in a different kind of way, great, but you don't need it. And so what we do is we take a lot of pe- most people come in with I call it like a danger zone business model mm. where you put yourself in a scenario where you need venture money in order to survive for more than a few months. Yeah. And and we pivot the don't change the idea. We just pivot the business model a little bit. And mm-hmm. it's fine if you go back later on, you've generated money and you go back and you say, all right, now we're going to offer a free tier. We're going to try to get as many users as possible. But having a million users who aren't giving you any money doesn't put you in a great position. So we pivot a little bit to get a little bit more of a premium product that people are willing to pay for. Yeah. And ha- I have people launch like you said, launch with revenue and launch with a model that gets you revenue from the beginning. And then if you want to change that and tweak that afterwards, great. Um, but it's a better place to start. Hey, let's give a big thank you to the following sponsor. Maria Popo is the founder and CEO of Media Amp at the Cable Center. Hi, I'm Maria Popo. I'm founder of Media Amp at the Cable Center. So I started developing some courses, first of all, to give them an idea of step-by-step, how do you become an entrepreneur, and then how to incorporate some exciting and learning components. So design thinking was one aspect. How do you come up with the idea? So that was one of the original courses that I developed and I started teaching that course to startups and to corporate entrepreneurs that want to go down that route. You can learn more about MediaAmp at the Cable Center at MediaAmpTCC.com. Yeah, no, that's really that's really powerful. And I think I think the popular notion is that oh, I get an idea and then I go and raise money. I would like to believe that a lot of companies still to this day are literally trying to invent or innovate or build an app or launch a service or or whatever by really trying to figure out, um, one, is there an opportunity for me to infiltrate this market? Is there room for me? And if there's room for me, then how am I different? And then who's willing to pay? And how much are they willing to pay? And all that other stuff. But one thing I really want to touch on with you real quick is... You just touched on, I think, something, uh, pff, it, this is an iteration of something powerful. Uh, this conversation is entirely uh, yeah. insightful and powerful. Um, you touched on something about walking into a room filled with investors and not needing money. So there's something, uh, starting up, raising money, being an entrepreneur, there is a confidence game all kinds of things happening in our heads at any given second of the day. There's also something to be said for at any point of a a startup journey, an entrepreneur's journey, uh, you know, founding a company or or, or the startup phase, which is you're trying to figure out, is there a business? And I think a lot of people is forgetting that. Like starting up, it's not like, okay, now I've got a company. Like you're trying to figure out what's scalable, what's reputable, what's, you know, what's, you know, all that stuff, profitable. Right. So not needing money. Do you think 
if if there's a listener right now that is a first-time entrepreneur and they've got an idea, and of course they think it's a great idea. <laughs> we all think our right, ideas are great. Right. right. And they're they're struggling by getting it built. And they know, well, oh my God, of course, if I had like a hundred grand in the bank, you know, I could go hire a software engineer and I could go build this and blah, 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 blah. One, that's the wrong time to talk to investors. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you can meet investors. You can start to build your network of investors. It's actually very powerful to get to know the investor community and, and angel communities and angel networks. But that's not when you start pitching your shit. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I usually tell people, and and this is for people who are on kind of, when, when you use some of the tools that I teach, you kind of fast track yourself a little bit. So usually for my students, it's at the like eight month mark where they've got, but at that point, if you've taken this journey, you've got a product already, you've got revenue from it, and you've got a marketing strategy in place. And that's when you have that conversation. So if it doesn't happen in eight months, it might happen in two years, whatever, uh, that's the that's the time where you have those conversations because the kinds of questions and you can Google this right. What oh, yeah. questions are investors going to ask me in the meeting? Um, you need to have answers to them. So when someone asks you like, "What's the average cost per acquisition for a customer?" and you're like, "Uh, I don't know," like it doesn't help you at all. And then that investor who maybe would have been a really good fit a year down the road, six months down the road, when you had those answers, you've now kind of blown it and looked kind of silly in front of them anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, there's all these questions that you need to have answers to, and you want to be in a position where you can answer those questions in those meetings. Yeah. Um, we all call this due diligence. And uh, yes, I think if you, if you're a first-time entrepreneur, you just don't know, right? You just think, oh, uh, everybody just talks about, I need to, I need a shiny deck. And it needs to be 10 slides and now more. And I'm going to get my message across. And it just all drives me crazy. And you know what? We all were there. We were all there. I I can't tell you how many 10 slide decks I've had and how many ideas I've had and how many people I pitched during that idea phase. And I was like, God, that was awful. That was the most awful thing I could have done. And and that's fine. Like, I think a lot of us have to learn the hard way. Um, The beauty of like being surrounded by other entrepreneurs, which is, you know, community that I'm cultivating. And I love that you're, you know, you're cultivating that with within your ecosystem of apps without code. What we start to realize is like, hey, okay, there is a a method to this madness. Like, listen, idea mode, get your ass into validation mode um, and, and all that stuff. Back to the confidence factor. I wonder sometimes, I, I think that uh, for entrepreneurs, if they come across kind of desperate for money, it puts them in a really, really, really uh, sticky situation. Right. Um, because you you already touched on it. If you walk into that room and you not just fake that you don't, I don't need your money, right? right it's, it's not right. about that. It's not like, Psh, I don't need your money, dude, do debt. Like, you know, it's not really about that. It's truly, truly getting yourself to the point where you are onto something. People are starting to pay you for it. It may be tiny. You may have not paid yourself for going on a year. You may have, right. you, you may need to be driving Uber or uh, driving Lyft. Um, um, to, 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 to make rent or make the mortgage and pay for right. food. However, when you do do all that and you walk into a room with investors and you literally confidently are onto something and people are paying you for it and you don't need that money, but you're going into that room with, if I did take your money and 
if you can also attribute to more introductions, helping me expand my network, giving me advice of my blind spots, I can 10x even what I'm doing now. And that is a game changer kind of a conversation. Absolutely. You know, on this on the same conversation, in terms of how to tactically get there, how to get to that point where you have that confidence, you know, what I what I would love to see more of, and this might be controversial, I would love to see more people building quote unquote lifestyle businesses. I'll sort of define that in a second. Mm. Build build the lifestyle business and go after that first. Here's why I say that. Mm-hmm. And this this may sound kind of crazy. I'll explain. No, I, I'm, I'm liking it. Go for it. <laughs> Build a lifestyle business first. And the reason why is because one, a couple reasons. One, you'll make smarter financial decisions that will put you in a place where you don't need, you can, you can actually go into this investment meeting actually not needing, not just saying you don't need, like you said, but actually not needing. And so what that means is that, and this is sort of a foreign and tech specifically, this is like a foreign concept, that you hire people when you have the revenue to hire people yep. and that you grow your team when you have the revenue to grow your team. But if you build that way, you haven't put yourself in a position where you believe that you need 20 people in order to do this and you are then paralyzed because you don't have the money to hire 20 people and so then you're not doing anything and you're not hitting any of your milestones. You find ways to hit your milestones um, and you get scrappier with it. It kind of forces you into a different kind of mode that actually investors like to see. So so if you go for a building a lifestyle business, one, you're making better financial decisions. Two, you're positioning yourself to make revenue from the beginning. And again, it sort of forces you to start to to build your business around revenue as opposed to build your business around one day revenue when something else happens. So I think you could go up to the investment conversation and say, this is what we're doing now. And here's why it's scalable. And here's what your money is going to get us. It's going to get us this these operations that are going to scale it in this way. Also, it gives you, and this is the last thing I'll say on this, it gives you the opportunity, and I see this so often, it gives you the opportunity to decide that you want to keep a lifestyle business and not run a venture-backed kind of business, which is a totally different kind of business to run. It changes the lifestyle that you are able to have as an entrepreneur. And I find so many entrepreneurs that like, when you actually dig into what they want for their life and what they want their life to look like, they don't want to have the kind of life that looks like running a venture-backed business where mainly, you know, you don't really get to have your hands on the business all that much. You're mainly just managing your C-suite and in your board meetings and your life just looks really different. And so it gives you an option to make a choice around, do I want to be a big business, a venture-backed CEO, or do I want my life to look like having a little bit more flexibility? And there's maybe a certain day of the week I don't work or certain seasons I don't work and, and having that flexibility in your life. A lot of times people say that they're working towards that and then you ask them how they're going to get there. They're like, I'm going to raise a bunch of venture money. VCs have no interest in you having that flexible lifestyle. That's <laughs> yeah. not how they're going to make their money. Yeah. And so then you've got a misalignment of interest. And so if you build the lifestyle business first, you give yourself choices in so many other ways. And I'm going to I'm going to put like a a hundred percent on on that very very insightful um, comment. And the reason I'm going to do that is I've walked into a lot of investor rooms where they're like, Lizelle, is women who start up is it a lifestyle business or <laughs> are you are you really setting out to build some technology w- within that brand? Um, you, you know, because Women Who Startup is um, 
it started as a side project. It started as yeah. a very simple passion side project. And then only in the last year, um, so only in the last two years, did I experiment with things that started to actually bring in incremental and, and um, um, uh, recurring revenue. And yeah. then I was like, okay, well, this is definitely a media company. And if I was on, if I was on the East Coast or the West Coast, everybody would get it. And then right. I was like, well, but I'm a technologist. So where's the innovation underneath the Women Who Startup umbrella that is going to help accelerate getting women access to capital, access to learning, real-time engagement, rapid acceleration, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, well, it's time to put your foot down on all of that under the same umbrella and quit, you know, quit, quit messing around. Let's do this. And so um, I've been hitting the, the fundraising trail very recently. And mm-hmm. it's, it's more of like, starting to tap into some of my investor network that I've been cultivating here in, in the Colorado ecosystem and amazing people. And they know me, um, they're interested now. And, oh, oh, wait, oh, that doesn't sound like a lifestyle business. Like, Lizelle, like you're saying you're about to actually launch some real technology under the hood of women who start up that has very incremental IP um, value, potential, what's your exit strategy, blah, 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 blah. And then what entrepreneurs don't understand is if you're about to have a conversation with an investor, which is why I love what you just talked about, they want to understand what is your exit strategy. You have to think about your business completely different. This is no longer this you know, fluffy, warm, oh my God, I'm, you know, I mean, you're, you should be in love with what you're doing and you should be absolutely obsessed. Otherwise it won't be successful regardless if you're bootstrapping, revenue positive or about to raise money and all of the above. However, it's very interesting. You have to think about things very differently. And I love how you just yeah. made that really visible. The other thing that I'm curious about based on what you just said is, do you think more women are just organically building companies like this. First, they think about the idea, then they go out and bootstrap the heck out of it. Then they figure out their revenue streams and business models. They figure out operations. Then they realize, you know, I, I have a really interesting brand here. I'm putting it out in the marketplace. Da, 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 da. And they almost start to cultivate the community before, you know, uh, anything else. And then they're like, holy cow, I have X thousands of customers or clients or users. And that there's something very real here, but then you have that investor community that are like, hmm, is this a lifestyle business? I'm just not <laughs> sure. And I think I don't give a shit if it's a lifestyle business or not. If there's right. a real a real potential here for this brand to, to have acquisition potential, for this company to have interesting IP, for this uh, entrepreneur and its uh, and their team to have you know a lot of chutzpah and and we'll get it done. That's what we need to be looking at. And so I think you and I can can uh, really hopefully attribute to I think the fact that more and more women are starting to build businesses. We are absolutely starting to change the investment community. It's slow. God knows it is slow and somewhat painful, but it has to change because I think perhaps we're, some of us are building companies a little differently. I mean, I don't know. I hate to generalize and I'm not trying to, but it's an interesting question. Yeah, I think so. I think that we we will be making that change primarily by not needing the investors. So it's a nice to have, you go into the meeting, great, ha- you know, happy to have you on board if there's a fit, 
but you've built something where you don't need that. You know, and then I think also it for some reason we don't give permission. It's not the cool, sexy thing to decide that you don't want that, right? To, because when you take on an investor, you're pretty much, and you alluded to this earlier, you know, you're pretty much making a promise that I will do everything in my power to put this company in a position where we can sell it or someone will, or we'll go public. Mm-hmm. Right? We'll sell it or we'll go public. Mm-hmm. That's all, everything I'm doing, that's my objective. And there are a lot of people who, myself included, really, yep. who are not all that excited about that. It's, I think it'd be fine if it happens, but I'm not optimizing everything for that. There are lots of other things that I'm that I'm optimizing for, revenue being one, impact being another. Yep. You know, I think a lot of women build businesses thinking about those things. And I think that when you get to the point where you've got something solid, and it can be scalable, just like your company, right? It can be scalable in a couple of different ways. Here's how we can do recurring revenue. Here's how we can grow this business really fast. You then get to make a choice about whether or not you want to do that. And it is completely fine to have a multi-million dollar business that does not take on any venture funding. Mm-hmm. It probably will get you'll get there slower, but you will get you will probably survive there longer because you know you have built something that's aligned to what you want and you've got to figure out what you want, yeah. what you want for the company and what you want for your life and build your business mainly around those things, not around what's sexy and what you see in the newspaper about funding. Yeah, I, I also love that. Have, I also have just a quick story. Please. And I'm sharing this story. Okay. Not, not as like a, here's what you should do, but as an example of the kind of confidence that works in your meetings with mm. investors. Mm. So when I, was fundraising for Collecto, I got a lot of those conversations you just mentioned, which is like, okay, but is this a lifestyle business? Mm. And that's such a funny word because no one, I'm using it now, but you know, it's such a funny word because we can't really define it. What does that even mean? (laughs) Um, I think what people mean is it's not something that's going to scale in a way that we normally see companies scale. But, but, um, I got a lot of like, oh, is this a lifestyle business? So with Apps Without Code, you know, I, I intentionally, my, my strategy is to first build a quote unquote lifestyle business. And what I mean by that is that I'm not focused on how do we make everything operationalized so that it scales to a million people first. I'm more so thinking about like, what do I want my life to look like? I want to run boot camps two times a year. And I want to like, in between that, like maybe hang out and watch the Kardashians. And, <laughs> and I, I want to build a business around that, what that is still a multi-million dollar business and that can still do that. Like I don't have any different sort of end goal, obje- you know, objectives. It's just like, I am thinking about what I want my life to look like, what I want my team's life to look like around this business. Mm -hmm. So I've been having, interestingly enough, you know, my first business, I went to the investors. With this business, they're mainly coming to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going into meetings. This is the part where I'm saying this is not an exact blueprint of what you should do. Mm -hmm. I'm going into the meeting saying, like, this is my lifestyle business. Here's what I've been building. This is what my lifestyle business has been. And they are the ones who are going, but like, yeah, like here are the ways we think it could scale though. See? See. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, all those things are definitely true. And I've done it with other businesses. You know, we're not 100% optimizing for that. We're mainly trying to like, you know, we're, we're still really early stage. We're thinking about revenue primarily. But, you know, those are all the ways that we can scale. We see that happening down the road. 
Like that's how the conversation has been going. And then they push it. It's like, oh, well, here are all the ideas. And I'm saying, you know, yeah, I think that's probably a way we could scale. No, I'm not all that excited about scaling in that way. But, you know, they're coming to me and they're the ones sort of pitching how it can scale because the kind of confidence I'm able to come in with is like, I'm not, you know, first of all, I'm not raising. I'll say that. Like, I'm not actively looking for investors, which automatically makes investors more interested. (laughs) (laughs) And, And And then you say, you know, I'm like, here's what the business is thus far. And here's where we are. Here's what our awesome, you know, and then you throw in some humble brags of all the awesome milestones you've hit. And, you know, we're just fine continuing to grow as is. We're on a good growth trajectory. We're going to keep on that growth trajectory. And, you know, more than anything, like we're thinking about building the business and scaling in a lot of ways. But, you know, it's not a number one you know, huge priority and, and it changes the dynamic of the conversation. I'm not saying to go into your meetings and say, I'm not going to scale my business. Um, right. I think this is probably an extreme example, but I truly can go into those meetings and not care whether or not I get that money or not because we're just fine regardless. No, I think I think it's very powerful. I and, and I thank you for sharing that. And I think it's extremely important. I think a lot of entrepreneurs think there's, you know, there's only a couple of ways and there's no one way. No. Um, there's no, there's no one right way anyways. And I think I, I really respect that you're alluding to like, listen, you gotta do, you gotta do a very self-awareness check, you know, like everybody I've ever interviewed and ever talked to. And I do a, I do a ton of events for women who start up. We have our monthly base camps. We have annual summits. I do this podcast. I do the vlogs. I talk to thousands yeah. of entrepreneurs. Right. And this is this is a personal growth journey. This is a pretty damn spiritual journey. There is no waking moment where we're not constantly trying to evaluate our gut checks, trying to evaluate what's going on in our heads and being pushed from every nook and cranny, every corner of the world. And so it's important. And I love that you're really kind of um, putting that into the spotlight. Like, listen, think about what type of company you want to build and what responsibility comes with that and feel confident in the decision that you make and also feel confident that if you change your mind, that's okay too. Like shit changes. Like that is life, my friends, you know, like it's okay. But one really powerful thing, I think what I love, I mean, love, want to put money on, want to scream from the mountaintops is we need to cultivate entrepreneurial ecosystems where we are hunkering down and building great businesses. Businesses require revenue, great revenue, positive businesses with pretty good damn, you know, company culture and people don't feel discarded and like cogs in the machine. And you have a pretty good time because for God's sake, we are spending 80% of our lives working on this thing. We may as well be having a good time doing it. And if you're an entrepreneur or a founder or a CEO, let alone, you're spending every waking breathing moment, thinking about, you know, the people that you're responsible for, the market that you're, you've, you've created, the, the product, service, or value that you're putting out into that marketplace. So you may as well be doing it for the right reasons um, and, and, um, and for the way you want, you can kind of see yourself. Now, if you've never built a business before, you are going to have to walk through a lot of the experiences of learning, just like any job, you're going to have to yeah. learn, you know, you're going to have to learn like, holy cow, I had no idea (laughs) that that is exactly what I did or did not want. And that's cool too. And I think I love that people are brave and they go and experiment and they go and experience and then they share those experiences. And that's what I love about our Women Who Startup community. 
um, because, you know, these entrepreneurs are sharing. They're sharing these very, very real stories of, well, this is how I started. This is why. This is do, 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 do. And, and everything you're saying is, I, I really respect it because it, it's important that people know there's no, no one way. And you really do have to figure out, do I want to be in board meetings, you know, every other week? Do I, do I want to work for my shareholders? Or am I working for my customers only? Do I want to bootstrap and, and see and how that plays out? At the end of the day, if you're building a business, build it well. Build it the best you possibly can. And that means it is revenue positive. And with that, you lend yourself a lot more opportunity if you wanted to scale, if you wanted to sell your company brand or IP or, or inventions. I just think it's a game changer to think about build a business. Like startup mode, fine, you're figuring shit out. But then build a business, like really build a business. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like somebody handed you a million dollar check and said, you know, have fun. Like, you mean, you had to you had to start through the trajectory of your career, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I think everything you just said was so, so well spoken and on point. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I want to leave you with two questions. So okay. before we go, I want to wrap up and I want to say... What are like the five most important, it doesn't have to be five, like what's the most important, you know, set of things that you want to share with, with anyone listening and tuning in and they're about to, they're considering fundraising, they're about to raise some money. I mean, we've talked about a lot of collective awesome things that, uh, you know, people can already extract from this amazing um, conversation, but like there's some top things that you, you just want you know, other founders or entrepreneurs or, or side project, you know, tinkerers, you want them to know this. Yeah. Okay. So I think the first, the first thing is to think of your customers as your investors in a lot of ways. So first, when you're thinking about raising money, first think about, can we use our customers as investors? Can we launch some new thing, something for them that we can raise money for, bring in revenue for, and use your revenue as an investment first? Exhaust that option first. Mm -hmm. Then I think it's about raising when you... You should always be raising when you want money and not need money. And so time your raise uh, around a time where you still have money in the bank. You're not already at a point where you're desperate, which might mean, oh, we were thinking about raising six months down the road, but actually we should start now um, because you want to raise when you want to and not when you need to. Yep. Um, and then make sure finally that you match your target lifestyle, the kind of life that you want to have as a CEO to the kind of business that you're building when it comes to fundraising and make sure that those things match up. There are some lifestyles that do not match up with having a VC funded business and some, you know, ways to fund your business that do not match up with certain lifestyles. And so make sure you've matched that up and done that real thinking. Wonderful. Very powerful. Thanks. That was awesome. Yeah. Final kind of closing question for you. Um, the women who sort of motto is keep climbing. And, and in a way, as entrepreneurs, there's plenty of times where we just need to kind of sit down and be quiet and take it all in and take a breath yeah. and rest. And that's very frequently. But our motto is keep climbing. And that means that something is driving us. Something keeps inspiring us. And I, I, I believe that it's when we're obsessed with something in a very positive way and we have confidence yeah. around what we're building. But what is what does keep climbing mean for you and what inspires you to keep climbing? 
Yeah, absolutely. So for me, what inspires me to keep climbing is having a really good sense, uh, particularly my business, is having a really good sense of what the impact is that I'm having in my business. And I think Mm -hmm. as women, women are more often building businesses that are centered around not just revenue, but also an impact that they want to have on the world. And I think that for me, that impact along with the revenue goals is what allows me to keep going and pushing. And I think my advice for women who start up folks is to really think about the the impact they want to be making with their business and make sure that that is driving them alongside with the revenue goals, the fundraising goals, the we're going to conquer the world goals, that the impact goal comes along with it. Amazing. Thank you. Very powerful and poignant and I couldn't agree more. <laughs> okay, Tara, um, how do people uh, learn more about apps without code? How can they learn more about your bootcamp? I would love um, if there's an opportunity, and we can talk about this offline, but I would yeah. love for women who start up members to like maybe have some uh, promo or like a, something cool that you know we, you and I can kind of chew on offline. But how can people learn more about Apps Without Code and who is it for and how can they uh, sign up for your awesome boot camps? Yeah, absolutely. So they can go to appswithoutcode.com. Um, which is our website. And then also I do a free workshop um, just about every Wednesday. You'll see a calendar on there um, on how to build an app without code, how to think about a lot of these uh, process-driven growth marketing hacks around launching your idea. And you can find that on webinar.appswithoutcode.com, webinar.appswithoutcode. Fantastic. And Apps Without Code and you, uh, you're all over Twitter, Facebook, Uh, Your blog is incredible. It's very insightful. You can literally spend a week just reading all your blogs and feel pretty inspired to, to, to get going <laughs> on yes. uh, on building something. Um, and uh, I highly recommend your boot camps and stuff. Um, uh, Tara, what an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on Woman to Start Radio with us today. I wish we could talk for more and more and more time. Um, but with that... Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Uh, Any uh, parting words you want to leave for the Women Who Startup community? No, I think we covered it. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Okay, so Tara, that was absolutely fantastic. (laughs) Thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I'll definitely be following up with you with email and stuff. Uh, These podcasts for season three will start kind of shipping out um, June, July, And um, I really am going to hit you up about um, potential partnering and creating pipeline for you. And I want to learn more. Yeah. yeah. And I I definitely want to pick your brain about what I'm setting out to build maybe. So I just think there, if there's room on your end, uh, I would love an opportunity to kind of soundboard some, some really cool, cool shit with you. (laughs) I would love that. I would love that. Well, what an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. Good luck with everything and have a fantastic week and I'll be in touch. What an incredible conversation with Tara Reed. Honestly, one of the most fun podcast chats I've had in a while. You could tell we were just kind of hammering on fundraising and starting up and validating out there in the marketplace, even if we didn't know how to write a single line of code. Um, this woman is definitely onto something. I think it would be um, uh, almost a must if you're out there listening, curious about taking an idea to market and you're not necessarily yourself a software engineer 
or have a co-founder that is, but you want to tinker with ideas and validate it in the marketplace before writing a single line of code. Uh, what a fantastic conversation. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful episode of Women in Startup Radio. Take care, and until next time, keep climbing. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Women Who Startup Radio. To learn more about Women Who Startup, please visit womenwhostartup.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel inspired to share it everywhere and to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Take care of yourselves, my friend. And as always, keep climbing.